Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that is in a true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, a powerful family is dogged by a series of deaths leading up to the murder of their mother and son. Will they ever be held accountable for their alleged misdeeds? We'll review the Netflix documentary series Murdoch Murders, A Southern Scandal. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and sometimes love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Whatever, Rebecca. <laughs> also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of the Piper Green series of cozy mysteries, Laura Bricker. Hey, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. And finally, our resident Doubting Thomas, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hey, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. All right. So, Kevin? Yeah. Are you looking forward to the next round of reviews that uh, talk about my laugh on this week's podcast? Yes or no? No, I'm not looking forward to that. The emails that came in, I just want to thank you, Kevin, for responding to those emails so politely. I really do appreciate it. I don't it. know if it was polite, but... lot <laughs> um, yes. people think they're being kind by taking the time to write to you to tell you why they're quitting your show or whatever. It's like, you, you can just go. It's fine. Yeah. You don't, There's no need for an exit interview. <laughs> I get it. You don't like the show anymore. Fine. Also, my laugh just sounds like it sounds. There's nothing I can do about it. Rebecca, I'm with you. You know, my voice sounds like it sounds. And some people are like, Laura, shut the fuck up, Laura Bricker. Laura, can I tell you something? We've never mm-hmm. gotten an email about your voice. Only Oh, mine. I've gotten reviews about my voice, about how I say like all the time. Like, like, like she's a valley girl. I'm oh, like, okay. we can edit that out. We can't edit my laugh, by the way. <laughs> it's the one thing that seems to make people the We're leaving most it in. Be true to yourself. Also, sometimes I think you guys are funny. Sorry. Can you make it go back and forth in people's headphones? Oh, oh like that'd pan, be awesome. Boom, 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 like ping, ping, ping. Oh, gosh. Yeah, be like, ha, 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 ha. And it's like, it's like some kind of like Led Zeppelin thing. We could, yeah. <laughs> we could add like this crazy reverb echo thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Ah. All right. So, Kevin, this is obviously Thursday's podcast. It's not obvious to everyone, but okay. Well, people listen on demand. So, to me, it's obvious. What is coming up on Monday's program? 
We're going to be talking about the podcast City of Tents, Hmm. Veterans Row. All right. Can I mention one other thing? Sure. That people will do things where they like create a wiki page for you on Wikipedia. I I found a new place where our podcasts are listed that that we didn't have. I didn't set them up, but somebody did on IMDb. Sure. So in addition to movies and TV shows, they're starting to list podcasts. Somebody put us out there. So there is a Crime Writers on you know, uh, entry on IMDb. It lists the four of us as the hosts. Oh. If you have like editing permission, you can go and add photos and whatnot. Whoever set it up, set up the description. I want to read you what they said. Okay. They said, Crime Writers On is a true crime podcast that examines and ruins other crime podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I think they meant reviews, but ruins is good too. We're Seems the accurate. ruiners. Can we make that a new shirt in the merch store? Crime writers on. The Ruiners. Ruining podcasts in 2014. (laughs) I'll say, coldest case, Laramie is doing fine, despite the fact that I ruined it. It's doing fine. They're doing just fine without me. Despite me grading it on a curve, they're doing fine. So if anyone out there has uh, an IMDb Pro account, help me out here because I am listed... Four different accounts is Kevin Flynn. How much does it cost? There's, like $20 a month, Kevin. Just get one and change it. Oh, I guess I could do it. It's I'm literally $20. And why for one thing? I'm Kevin Flynn, Roman numeral seven. <laughs> Kevin Flynn, Roman numeral eight. Kevin Flynn, Roman numeral 23. Because Kevin. I experience something, someone throws me in there, but they don't sink me to the other stuff. Kevin, I am not shitting you. Because of this stupid podcast, we pay probably $600 a month for various streaming services and content. All of it is tax deductible for us because of this podcast. You can afford... It's the principle of the thing! (laughs) You can afford to pay for one month of INDB Pro and go fix that. I'm giving you permission to do that thing. Okay, as your boss. <laughs> okay. Go fix that. Wow. <laughs> Fucking A. Yeah, I tell you, I already know the one thing I want to fix. What's that? Is that, you know, they'll have like a uh, a title photo. Yeah. You know, for everything. You know, you bring it up and there's sort of the poster there. And so I started adding a couple of photographs and the one have is you and I. And it's sort of oriented here, you know, in that like uh, that Box. cinematic side, you yeah. know, the nine by six or whatever the dimension is. But the uh, the thing on the page is a square. So when you uh, you bring up Crime Writers on, the photo you see is of our two shoulders <laughs> and the space in between. It's like, fuck, I want to change that. Is that why we were in the studio last week and you were trying to make me do like a selfie thing in the studio? Yeah, yeah I got better on these are their stories. But uh, got it. Yeah. I, was like, I like why? this new rebranding, like the yeah. shoulders and then the ruining. I think it's a, yeah. it's a whole new... It's a whole thing. Can I get a leather jacket for for this rebranding and just become like a motorcycle chick? (laughs) Everyone at Serial Productions is like, Rebecca, that's what you fucking deserve for ruining our podcast. You guys need to send us photos of you at your microphone so we can put them on IMDb. Oh. I mean, okay. just another part of the I just want to say for the record, Trojan Horse Affair wasn't my top 10 last year. It was. was, I loved that podcast. Even though a lot of people thought it was boring, I loved it. I loved all that paperwork searching. I loved it. Well, can we ruin another podcast? <laughs> why, why are we talking about this? Is this, what, is this? <laughs> Kevin, take a picture of Toby. <laughs> Be very meta. That's literally the first time I've ever seen Toby pull out his phone and take a picture of anything. Toby is like the least vain 
least like <laughs> selfie person in the world. Toby might be the least image conscious person I know. Do you like this one? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Giving Toby. people the business. <laughs> All right, to see these stupid photos, you got to go to IMDb. Here I am <laughs> contemplating. What oh, am Toby, I going to say? You look next? really good in that one. I look horrible I have, in mine. Look at this one. <laughs> Just take a whole bunch. You, what the fuck are you God. people talking about? Okay, this is a this is an audio medium, but for our audience listening right now, Toby Ball, the least image conscious person in the world, just managed to take like four really baller selfies of himself while we're recording the show. But like with his eyes half closed. I'm so his- impressed. He looks so impressive, though. He's got good selfie game. Do you I'm know horrible why? Because he's photogenic. This is why all of our listeners. I'm not photogenic. I'm the worst. I'm the least photogenic person in the world. Toby, all of our listeners believe you are the handsomest hunk on this show for a reason. The pictures don't do me. uh, Pictures don't do me justice. (laughs) Now I just no. I I always have a goofy expression on my face unless somebody catches me off guard. All right. Well, we actually do have something that we need to review. Should we get to it at the nine minute mark of this podcast? Do it. I'm going to go ahead and drop that first clip right now so we can start mispronouncing some names. What do you think, Kevin? I said, do it. All right, let's get it done. I slid down. I put my feet up, pulled Mallory to me. I was just looking at this bridge and I was like, I'm about to hit this. I heard a scream, then I was out. A fatal drunken boating accident turned the spotlight on a powerful South Carolina family. Survivors claimed Alec Murdoch used his considerable sway to steer the investigation away from his son, who caused the crash. Then, months later, Murdoch returned home to find his wife and son murdered in the family dog kennel. Nobody. They're not. He's the one open food. The high-profile case renewed interest in other suspicious deaths connected to the Murdochs, including the roadside beating of a high school student and the fatal fall of the housekeeper in their home. But the story has a final plot twist. Alec Murdoch was shot while changing a flat tire in what police say was a setup. I want to know who killed Paul and Maggie and who killed Stephen. I still think that Mr. Alec is hiding things, and if you ever meet him, I'm sure you'd get that feeling, too. Netflix's Murdoch Murders, a Southern Scandal, is a timely look at the nation's biggest crime case. With new interviews from the accident survivors, the three-part series focuses on everything leading up to the current murder trial. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Murdoch Murders, a Southern Scandal. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Additional note, I'm the host of Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcast, and I interviewed the directors of this documentary. However, that has not influenced my review. Lara Bricker, how do you feel about the boat crash being the central premise of this documentary series? Uh, you know, I like this. I should say I'm a little biased because when I went on vacation last summer and I went to Addisto Island, the Murdoch vacation house where Paul went and hid out after the boat crash was right across the street from where I was staying. So I got all the local scuttlebutt when I was there. But I think in this case, starting off with the boat crash, which was, you know, I mean, I think the national 
audience first hears about the Murdoch family when the son and, and wife are killed. But the locals and the people that really know them in the low country down there in South Carolina, the boat crash is where things really start to kind of escalate in terms of the family just having a lot of people die around them. And I think in this case, the boat crash sets up the family, their MO, their power, but it also gives us a window through the younger people who were involved, who were peers of Paul, you know, and and so these younger people had a little bit more information about sort of the situation that was going on. And I felt like that gave a really clear picture of Paul, his circle of friends, the family, how they enabled Paul. Like, Paul's got a drinking problem. You know, the mom's like, oh, he's fine. Oh, we're just going to supply all you kids with alcohol. The biggest thing I looked at is like his eyes. It was like he was looking through you, you know? But all it was, was he was trying his best to understand what you're saying, you know? Because he's so drunk that he he can't really function. Morgan, who was Paul's girlfriend, says in this that the Murdochs don't really get told no much. I think that that is, when I say this sets it up starting with the boat crash, I think that's what it sets up right there. Toby, what do you think about the documentary focusing on the boat crash? Because it actually... A lot of people say the boat crash is actually what the murders of Paul and Maggie were about. And it's definitely very central to this documentary. When I was watching it, I thought, wow, is this whole documentary just going to be about the boat crash? But it actually is a very central story. Yeah. I mean, I think it it does seem to be, it does seem to have more consequences than the stuff that happens before it, right? So it seems like a, a logical starting place. I think another thing that it does, is that it sort of puts basically Paul's friend group, like that generation is sort of at the center of this whole documentary. Like as much as we see it through anybody's eyes, we see it through their eyes. And that seemed right because I was trying to think of another documentary where we have so little access to the actual key players. Like you really don't hear anything from any of them. I mean, they're not interviewed at all. I don't think you hear the moms or busters voices ever, you know, Paul, you, I, I think you just kind of hear on some home movies. So you're kind of in the same situation that these kids are right. And it's where, you know, some stuff about it, but you're not sort of in on the sort of internal workings of that family. So in that way, it kind of seemed sort of appropriate and, and it was easy to, kind of identify with what their knowledge of what was going on was because you you don't end up knowing much more than they do as the thing goes on. And I think I thought they're all pretty compelling in in sort of their emotional reaction to things. And, you know, they're looking back on this time and, and the time they spent in this member of their friend group who, uh, you know, clearly had a drinking problem, seems like kind of a sociopath. And how that all kind of played out and the violence against his girlfriend and, and all that. I agree with the two of you. I think this is a great place to start the documentary as far as that part of the timeline. I think that the podcast also started there. And I think we should just mention that even though they have the same name, this is not related to the podcast of, of exactly the same name. There's a flex. We're going to take the name of your podcast word for word and we're going to make a documentary about the and same topic. And your boss is going to be, your former boss is going to be in it, but not you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's definitely the meatiest part 
of the story, especially with what they're able to gather. They've got these interviews, like you said, with all of Paul's friends that we nobody else apparently has. The girls are really good friends. And then so are the boys. Connor's my cousin. That's been my best friend since I can remember. You know, if I was hanging out with Connor, I was hanging out with Molly and Mallory. <laughs> How are you supposed to do that? And also you got to remember that they're really on the bleeding edge of this where it comes out in the middle of the trial. So it means that there's a lot we know about the boating accident, but there's not a lot that we can get about the double homicide until it comes out at trial. So if they did this whole thing today, they would have other things to talk about. So I think if as long as you kind of understand the idea that you're going to watch all of this, you're not going to probably get new insight to the actual homicide other than, you know, maybe the things that you see on the news as the trial progresses. But it's a really good deep dive into not only a boating accident, but also the idea that this is the starting point going forward, that there might be a financial motive to the homicide related to a uh, civil suit in that fatal crash. And also, what the fuck was really going on with these other things in the past, the Stephen Smith beating, murder, unsolved, you know, mysterious death, and the housekeeper falling down. I mean, we can all have opinions on I, I that doesn't seem as nefarious to me, although the, the, again, insurance, the insurance thing is yeah, sketchy as fuck. I'll just say one thing. So as we mentioned at the beginning, I did interview the people who made the documentary. And again, that hasn't influenced my review. And I will say that, like, just for transparency's sake, we don't typically review things on this show that I did interviews for that I don't generally like just for transparency because mm. that would be weird but there's one thing i learned in that interview that i also then did some research on which i found fascinating the kids talk about the murdochs being powerful right mm. and we tend to think even through the podcast and watching this that they're powerful locally that is not true they're very powerful beyond locally the murdochs generationally they're prosecutors. They're also defense attorneys. They also have this connection to like the National Democratic Party. They also have connections to this like this interstate train line. They have intergenerational wealth and national political connections that are well beyond this small town, small county stuff. And I think it's very interesting in, in this documentary that you, the way that you see these kids talk about this family as being like, they're the big family in town. Like you can't go up against them because they're the kids talk about them as being like our parents are afraid of them or whatever. And I think we tend to be like, oh, that's so small town, whatever. It's not like it's real. That being said, Alec does not have as much power as his father had, as his grandfather had, and even as his other relatives had, because he's kind of a loser. Like he was stealing from the family firm and his kids weren't doing well. So sort of his family was kind of like rotten in a way. And that's kind of what this story was about. I mean, it's sort of a Southern Gothic kind of situation. And that's kind of like why I think the story is so interesting to people is this sort of like falling apart of this family that is held in high esteem. Laura, what do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, you're saying Southern Gothic. I mean, there was the one storyline that we heard a little bit about, but not as much that reminded me exactly of that, which was the Stephen Smith case. And 
you know, if the rumors were true that Stephen Smith was having a relationship with Buster Murdoch, that to me was such a compelling situation. It's like a Southern closeted gay man, you know, who was allegedly, according to some of the reports from people in this documentary, going to come out to his parents. And to me, I just thought that was fascinating and, you know, reminded me again of S-Town, but also this is a Southern family where that isn't something that's easy to do or something that's ever been done. And, you know, the setting of where this happens, the way that everybody looks at the family, the power and influence that the family wields. But then if you just look around, like, I mean, I was down in this area last summer and it's like, you've got just the scenery down there and the landscape. I mean, that just contributes to this to me. If I was setting up like a movie or like something in my head of a book about this, it really plays into that Southern Gothic feel. Now, Kevin, this is obviously a very real-time story. Yeah. Before we get back to the story, though, we have to very real-time get into our business section. I'm sorry. Is that your attempt at a transition? I know you hate to interrupt the podcast in this way. <laughs> and actually, you don't hate it. It's necessary, right? It's absolutely necessary. All right. So what's going on on our Patreon right now, Kevin? Uh, well, we've got about 340 exclusive podcasts. Every week it seems can... to be exponentially growing. Like like two weeks ago, you said it was 200. Now it's 340. No, God dang it. Do you remember doing 100 podcasts a month ago? Nope. No. We broke 300. We keep crawling up there because we have things that we're adding all the time. Like, Who's making this stuff? We are. Why we? do you keep interrupting me like you've never heard this? No, I'm sorry. Laurie Toby, doesn't it feel like it was just 200 like a few weeks ago and now it's all of a sudden 340? I thought he said 300. I mean, time flies when you're having fun, Rebecca. He just said 300 and now it's 340. Yeah, Who made that 40 was like things? Four months ago or something. Ah. Go ahead, Kevin. Well, I'm always sort of just like rounding up, rounding down. <laughs> You're doing Alec Murdoch accounting. Yeah, I, I think the, the exact number is probably 337, but who's counting other yeah. than you guys? Yeah. Uh, we have great things like the Crime Writers on After Show, Married with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave it to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club. That book club is going to be reading a new book soon, Toby. You just did Karachi Vice. What's up on the library everybody's got to start doing their uh, their reading for? The book is called Tell Me Everything. Uh, it's by Erica Krauss. It's basically uh, Erica Krauss uh, is a private investigator for an attorney in, I believe, it's not mentioned, but it's pretty clear it's Boulder, Colorado, who's looking into a case of sexual assault and how it might implicate the university that's sort of the reason for the town being there. Um yeah, so it's, it's it's very interesting. It's it's definitely sort of like an investigator's eye view of going through the process of, of trying to sort of unravel this puzzle. Now, if you're not sure whether or not you want to listen on Patreon, maybe you've been like hearing about it and you're tempted, got a free trial. All you got to do is uh, sign up. You get 14 days free. You get to listen to all of that. Go back to all the podcasts uh, and... Sample them after 14 days. If you don't want to stick around, you can say goodbye. We'll catch you another time. All right. So, Kevin, before we end the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Kristen Butterfield and Rebecca Neighbors Ledbetter. Wow. Bless you. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Thank you, everyone who doesn't. 
And thank you to everyone who just muscles through the business section anyway. Kevin yeah, I'm sorry, Shay. Rebecca has been around for a, a billion years, and I'm, I'm so I'm sorry we haven't gotten to her sooner. Are we supposed to, like, get to, is there an order? Which no, there isn't, but, you know. Is Rebecca thirsty to be a saint? She's not. Oh, love you, Rebecca. Love you, Kristen. Thanks to you guys, and thanks to everybody who muscles through the business section. Can I fade the music out now, Kevin? Please do. I'm going to go ahead and do that. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. All right, so Toby, one of the things this documentary has is a very clear portrait of what happened the night of the boat accident and a very clear portrait through the interviews with the kids and their parents and then security footage of what happens at the hospital after where Alec Murdoch, his father, try to cover up immediately and change the story about Paul not driving the boat, yada, yada, yada. What do you think about that and the way that it is shown so clearly in the documentary? The events leading up to the boat crash are just, it's very comprehensible, right? Like you kind of watch as they make these different stops along the way on this night and, you know, especially Paul just drinking more and more. I don't know. It just, it was easy for me to see how that happened. And then you get a drunken sort of irrational actor and things go tragically wrong. But then the second part, as you said, is when they get to the hospital and Alec and his father both show up. And they're like an instant damage control mode and they're instantly trying to manipulate things. So certain people can't talk to other people and, you know, don't say anything to the police. We got this covered. And they're like from the very get go are trying to make it seem as though this guy Connor was had the wheel and not Paul. And and you also get a sense of just from both the, the parents who are trying to see their kids and who are being sort of denied access at first and the kids themselves, sort of the intimidation of the situation. And they're just like, you know, especially I, I think Connor says he doesn't even want to talk about it, but from the other kids, you're just like, yeah, well, they started, <laughs> they started like telling us what to do. And what are they like? 19. Yeah. Like they're mm-hmm. going to tell these guys no. So yeah, I thought it was, it, it was very effective. It's also, I think it's in that scene where one couple of parents uh, make the comment that it was clear that Alec, like when they mentioned the name of the girl who's missing, Alec's like, who? And it's yeah. clear like, like that's not his priority. His priority is setting the narrative before anybody gets to talk to the kids so that Paul is sort of off the hook. 
Yeah. Even the investigators are obviously on their side beforehand. I mean, Kevin, one of the things that really strikes me is the very complete portrait of this like teenage abusive relationship that's enabled by the family. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, I do feel bad for Morgan, the girlfriend. I mean, it's, it's, you know, very complicated feelings because her ex was murdered, but she knows that she's out of a bad relationship and she possibly, you know, probably wouldn't known how to get out of it. Um, if it were not for these tragedies, I, if he were not the victim of a brutal crime, I would be using different words to describe Paul Murdoch. But, you know, the drunkenness is troubling, but it's his impunity that really breeds this permissiveness that he can, again, drink more and wreck his car and crash a boat and kill a friend and be abusive to his girlfriend and do it in front of other people, you know, to not even be the least bit ashamed about doing that. It's all very troubling. But I mean, I think, is that to be expected because of who his family is? I don't know if he got to be abusive towards his girlfriend because that's what was modeled for him by his parents. We probably will never know. But certainly what was modeled for him is that we can get you out of any trouble, so just do what you want because he did that all over the place. Do you know what I found myself thinking? What? And Laura, I don't know if you wonder the same thing. The other kids did not go along with the Murdoch's cover-up plan, like, immediately. They were just like, no. Yeah. I found myself wondering if Paul had not abused Morgan in front of those other kids that night, if their relationship, if they, he had not demonstrated his abuse of Morgan in front of the other kids, or if the kids didn't know about it, or if, you know, he hadn't been an abusive boyfriend demonstrably in front of them. You know what I mean? Like, would that cover-up have been more successful? Because it was very clear that the girls knew because Morgan had been confiding in her girlfriends and they knew and they'd been trying to help her get out of the relationship. And by all accounts, she was kind of out, but still sort of part of the friend group. But then on the boat that night, he slapped her on her face in front of all of those kids. I started crying and... That's when uh, Paul got in my face and he just started screaming and uh, that's when Paul slapped me. Then um, sorry. You know, you could tell by the way that he did it that it wasn't the first time. And I, I just found myself wondering, like, in another night... Would they have successfully transferred the blame for this accident onto Connor? You know what I mean? Because his family had so successfully apparently done cover-ups over and over again in the past. I don't know. I hear where you're coming from, Rebecca, but I think Mallory was beloved. Her boyfriend was, you know, regardless of what Paul was doing to Morgan, Paul was acting like an asshole and he was drunk. And they all, you know, Mallory's boyfriend, Anthony Cook, was like, you know, he was there. And I think regardless of what did or didn't happen in front of them to Morgan because of Paul at the hands of Paul or the voice or whatever, I, I think that what the others witnessed with regard to Paul driving, Mallory going off the boat and the situation, I think that was the breaking point, I think, for them in terms of the cover up. And I think what happened to Morgan was sort of like the icing on the cake of them being like, fuck you. Like, not only 
is Mallory dead? But you're a freaking asshole and you're abusing Morgan. And they all talked about it. Even, you know, Paul's best friend there. Like they all talked about, okay, his eyes change. He'll start doing these things with his hands. Like, you know, they knew. So I, I think that that was sort of like the perfect storm of things happening that night. That resulted in the group that was there being like, we are not going to cover this up. Yeah, I don't I don't think they were. Those are good kids. They were never going to go along with accusing Connor of saying what I'm Paul was doing. I'm not saying they were going to go but, along with it. I'm saying they did not help. Like, right. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. But I mean, look, you could tell. Like we saw we heard the body cam video, the audio from that of the reaction. Nobody was on Paul's side. Yeah. Right. Everybody immediately knew you know, that he was a fuck up and that he didn't give a shit. And if you didn't hate him before, you hated him now. And it seems like the only one who still kind of felt any sort of, you know, connection to him was Anthony, you know, sort of understanding the complexity of, of, of the guy, but everybody else was like, fuck this. But yeah, I mean, you could see the takeaway is not, you know, what all these kids have all of a sudden said, eh, I guess, yeah, it was Connor. It's more, look at the, uh, you know, the rapid response Murdoch team come in and already have the cover up plant. Yeah. So let's get back to Alec. Uh, Toby, Alec is the one on trial. And granted, maybe by the time this podcast comes out, the trial will be over. We don't know because it's all developing very rapidly. This is a person where it's kind of hard to understand their motivations, right? Because there's money stuff. And we should not discount the fact that Alec Murdoch also committed really serious financial crimes embezzling millions of dollars from his own family's company and doing this insurance scheme where, you know, this woman died on his own property and he took out insurance on her life and never paid it out to the kids, which he promised. You know, now he's accused of murdering his own wife and son and this whole thing, this roadside incident. Like, thoughts? Yeah, you know, it's tough because while you're watching it, like the first thing really you see him do is when he's doing the cover up to to protect Paul and you understand that this is not the first time that's happened and you know most likely will not be the last. So you kind of see his priority being protecting the family. But then, you know, allegedly he uh potentially murders the two members of his family. And then it's like, so what is it down to just plain just self-preservation? at this point but then there's this whole kind of strange potential like suicide for a hire type thing where he either hires somebody to uh, kill him and make it look like a suicide or he tries to commit suicide and doesn't do it i i mean it's a little bit hard to tell exactly what's going on but regardless it's like okay well if he's not protecting himself like is this whole thing like protecting buster like how does that even work hmm. and you don't really have a sense because you know one of the weak points of this documentary and i don't know how you get around it but like i don't think we hear buster's voice once yeah and oh, the I, phone call at the end <laughs> oh yeah that's right and if you were to ask me facts about buster i'd be like well he played softball he dropped out of law gay. school he got kicked out of law school he got, he got kicked hair. out of law school likes to gamble but you know he he doesn't come through as like actually a person like by the way he went to colin miller's law school he did university of south carolina i guess that's right school of law right couldn't cut it though i um, wanted to ask colin about that but i was afraid <laughs> <laughs> why because colin's super mean and no just, i was just like <laughs> nervous i wanted to be like no i was just i wasn't afraid i just 
Honestly, I forgot. <laughs> um, so anyway, I, I mean, it's just, and, and part of it's probably that, you know, he had a drug problem and probably has some mental illness issues, maybe related to that, maybe not, but it is, it's hard to kind of follow his motivations uh, as he goes through all this. Cause it doesn't, there's not like any kind of internal logic to what he's, what he's doing and like, who is he looking out for? So Kevin, yeah, my thought is that if you are trying to bolster an idea that your wife and son were murdered as a result of a plot against the family because of the boat accident, would it not look good if there was also an attempt on your life because someone was after your family, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's what the roadside thing was You're about. You're just getting that. No, note. no, I know people are saying that, right? <laughs> so why come up with a suicide? How did that come into it? Because he had to get out of the area and into the rehab because didn't he go off to rehab so that, you know, he could kind of lay low. Because they figured out that the murder thing wasn't true. Yeah. I mean, they already had, they already nabbed uh, Eddie Smith. Layers and layers, layers yeah. of and lies. And he said, what the fuck was it? No, I wasn't here to, you know. So kill layers him of or, lies yeah. immediately caught. It was the next lie. Yeah. It was the plan B. Well, would you rather be holed up in a rehab or would you rather be holed up in a jail? I'd rather probably be holed up in a rehab where you had like a decent bed and you weren't behind bars. I just, I find the whole thing extremely confusing. Like, I will be honest, I've been following the trial, I've been watching the trial. As a juror, I would be very confused because reasonable doubt is rife as hell in this trial. And two weapons, you know what I mean? Like, just in terms of like, you know, actual evidence and so forth, it's very, very difficult. It's just all very confusing you know, could it have been Buster? Could it have been Alec himself? Could there have been a murder for hire? I don't know. It's a very convoluted actual crime. The murders of Maggie and Paul, like literally those two murders. Am I pretty reasonably sure that Alec is involved? Yes. Can I say it for certainty that like Alex pulled the tr- two triggers on two different guns, killing those two people? I can't, you know what I mean? Like I would be confused if I were a juror. It's very difficult to say. I don't know. I don't know if you guys have been following the trial as much as I have. I have been following the trial very closely. We got one weapon for up close and one weapon in case someone runs away. Okay. That's a lot of preparation for somebody who uh, (laughs) has managed to botch so many other things in his his preparation. You've seen his rapid response team. He obviously, you know, is quick on his feet. That's true. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at discounttire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Murdoch Murders, a Southern Scandal? It's a three-part series on Netflix. What do you think, Laura Bricker? Thumbs up or thumbs down? 
for Murdoch Murders, a Southern Scandal. Um, I'm going to give this a thumbs up because there's not anything like, I mean, I liked watching it. It was interesting. It was entertaining. I felt like there were parts of it because it wasn't about the trial and the case that's going on now. So it did feel a little premature to me in some regards. And I did did wonder, like, why now? There's been several other documentaries about this case. There's been plenty of media, like, what is going to set this apart? That being said, I watched it. It was, I, I don't want to say entertaining, but it, it was entertaining. Um, I thought we had good voices in it. And I think sort of my takeaway from this is that the Murdochs are sort of like the extreme. But there are families like the Murdochs all around. And I bet if you grew up in a small town or a, a certain area of the country, you have a Murdoch family near you. So I think a lot of people can relate to this. But if you've been following this case and already know all these details, I don't think you're going to get too much more information out of this. So, but it was a thumbs up because it was, I, I enjoyed watching it. Toby Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the Murdoch murders, a Southern scandal. Yeah, so I'm a thumbs up. I haven't really been following this at all. So I basically know what what we did for the review for Mandy Batney's uh, podcast. I like the fact that it's sort of centered around sort of this younger generation of of kids in their early 20s at this point, I guess. Um, I do feel like the scope of it, it's kind of a narrow scope. It, it sort of follows, uh, and this isn't really a spoiler, but it follows the boat accident and then kind of touches on other things that happen. But I don't think you get this sort of greater holistic look at everything that's going on that in that family, their history, all, all these kinds of things, which I think are part of the story, but aren't part of this documentary. That being said, it moves along quickly. I think the parts that it does address, it addresses in ways that makes it very sort of comprehensible. Uh, you do get a sense, I think, at least of what it was like to be a kid in that town uh, growing up in the shadow of the Murdochs. So, yeah, it's a thumbs up. Kevin Flynn. A thumbs up for me. I mean, I, I would say in response to Laura's rhetorical question about like, what do we learn now? I th think what makes this different is that we get to hear an awful lot from Paul's friends, the ones who were on the boat, all their perceptions of the family, particularly of Paul and what happened that night. And that is the central focus of this part of the documentary is, is this accident and how this is, a, you know, the jumping off point sort of a, a microcosm of what has been happening with the Murdoch family and their influence. I'm always sort of hesitant to compare one art form of a story with another, like when we have an adaptation. So there is the podcast Murdoch Murders, same name, no relation. And the thing that we said about, you know, the saving grace of that dumpster fire of a podcast was this was a really fantastic story. Hey, we all gave that podcast a thumbs up, Kevin. Well, like I said, it was either the best worst podcast I've ever heard or the worst best podcast I've ever heard. <laughs> but it's a great story. This is what we get to see, you know, with some uh, some thoughtful filmmakers taking the same story, using a bunch of uh, new resources and crafting it. Although, like I said, if you're looking for, you know, the resolution to the case, you're going to have to tune into the nightly news. You're not going to get it from this uh, this documentary. I don't know if there's going to be a season two, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I liked it, too. And you know what my test was for liking it? What? I found myself thinking, even if this wasn't a trial happening now or like a case that was current, I still would have enjoyed this documentary. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just a very interesting case of like a Southern powerful family that is sort of rotting generationally. And that is a quintessentially American story, a legacy 
family that you could probably trace back. I know that you can trace back to like slaveholding days that you like a uh, that has real power in this part of the world that literally I mean, it is fascinating that this family is on both sides of the law generationally. They own the prosecutor side and the defense side, which means they have made the law in this part of their state for generations. And then over time, the sort of funnel of their power has both grown and then compressed as they've become like morally less responsible. <laughs> and like, you know, they're sort of fallen. It's, it's just it's a very fascinating just American story, like succession in a way. Um, and then sort of seeing it through the lens of like these Gen Z young people from sort of different walks of life. I don't know. I I, I thought it was very, very well done, very moving at parts. And honestly, the most interesting part to me was the sort of domestic violence, intimate partner violence story between these two young people, which is not a story that's told often enough in media. So yeah, I thought it was really, really interesting and really well done. So yeah, thumbs up for me for the Murdoch murders, a Southern scandal. All right, that's gonna do it for us. But before we go, Lara Bricker, I have to ask, do we have a cat of the week this week? We do. So we have Rocket, who is some sort of a husky dog. Rocket says, today I found a dead rabbit body in the bushes all by myself. A rabbit body? A rabbit body. I was super proud of myself and wanted to bring it home to my family. But my mom said no. She was acting really weird and tried to get me to drop it for a treat. Why would I want a dumb treat when I have a (laughs) rabbit? So I sat in peaceful protest and told her that Rebecca Lavoy Flynn is a cooler dog mom than she is. <laughs> well, that is true, Kevin. Remember when you and I were walking with the dogs in the snow that time? We watched just a squirrel tail coming out of his mouth. No, it was a frozen chipmunk. We Fro- watched our chipmunk. puppy okay, yeah. Briscoe eat a giant chipmunk stem to stern. We weren't cool. We just couldn't oh, catch God. him. Oh, God. Laura Bricker, in the future, if folks want to reach out to you with their dogs who eat animals or their cats who eat animals or don't, or any kind of animal to be Cat of the Week, how can they find you on social media? Um, You can tell me about all your animals, no snakes, please, at Lara Bricker on Twitter. Toy Ball folks want to reach out to you for potential nominees for Animals of the Week or any other reason. How can they find you on social media? At Toy Ball NH. Kevin Flynn, how can you be found for any reason at all? I'm at www.twitter.com slash Kevin P. Flynn. That was a Mandy Matney callback, was it not? You are so observant. By the way, I would recommend if you're following the Murdoch trial or care about it, you should follow her on Twitter because some of her tweets are pretty spicy. If you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. Follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and I encourage you to join our incredible community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Just go to our regular old Facebook page, hit join the group. We'll probably let you in. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You get the crime writers on after show, married with podcast, Lara Bricker's leave it to Bricker podcast and Toby Ball's deep dive book club podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the wonderful Livy Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we use our considerable influence to get our kids out of trouble. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Toby, I am the only person on this podcast who Maggie Freeling met in person and said, 
Oh my god, I thought you were a hag. I'm so surprised by how attractive you are. What? You are not the least photogenic person. On wow. This wow, Maggie Freeling like, letting love. it fly. Wow, no, Maggie Freeling. She actually had never seen a picture of me and she just knew I was from New Hampshire and that was what Oh yeah. Well, was yeah. Based on. In crime media. media. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. <laughs> 